Coming to you from the Golden State, this is the Art for Everyone podcast. Bringing art back to the people, one episode at a time. And bringing you compelling guest interviews with inspirational artists. And now your hosts, professional artist and owner of Carini Arts, Michael Carini, and real estate guru, Vinny Enriquez. Art for Everyone podcast, where you have an artist, his friend, and uh, some random guy trying to jump into the conversation. Thanks, you guys for listening. Take it away, Michael. Well, well, who's who in that scenario? You know what? That's for the audience to kind of figure it out, to kind of dissect it and see who's who. Who's that random person? There, <laughs> there you go. There's the there's the challenge. That's why you should listen to the show. But. First and foremost, I want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank Edelman Fine Art. That is my primary gallery here in San Diego. I would love for you to check them out. I also want to thank Canvi. Now, Canvi is my favorite staging app. So if you're an artist and you want to stage your work in different rooms, on different backgrounds, I strongly recommend that you try Canvi. If you go to canvi.com backslash Karini, you can try Canvi Pro for 30 days absolutely free. But today we have a wonderful guest with us. Her name is Danielle Lazala. If I butchered the name, let me know. But let me turn it over to you, Danielle, so that you can introduce yourself. Hi. Thank you guys for having me. I was taking notes on your staging um, situation. Great tip. Thank you. Um, so like you said, my name is Danielle. I am an artist and business owner here in Florida, Orlando, Florida. Um, I started off 2017 with a whole like official business. Well, small business, but official. Um, I have the basic background in art. You know, my mom is an artist. My dad's a musician. So I've always been around the whole artistic scene one way or the other. Um, mostly take over my mom, not my dad's side. He's not very much. You can't stick figures. Um, but I started off with the business online, primarily online, moved from Miami to Orlando. And then here there's a really big local artist scene or support for local artists. Um, 2021, I started doing more market pop-ups in person and that's kind of how I became more known in the Orlando area for local artists. And now we're here, online and in person. So whenever we do this show, I always tell the guests, we don't have a series of questions. It's a very organic conversation. But just with your intro, I have like a handful of questions already. <laughs> so this is good. This is This is a positive thing. So one thing I'm going to want to get into at some point on this episode is business in Florida versus business in California because operating expenses and whatnot in different cities mm -hmm. and art market there. So I'm going to want to get into that. But first, I think we should start at the beginning. So you come from an art family. And it sounds, I think you're one of our first guests that kind of comes from an artistic family. Fun. Glad to be here first then. Um, so yeah, my mom went to school for uh, public marketing. So she's really good with signage, lettering, promoting, and just, you know, uh, has an eye for it. Um, I grew up doing the what? That was my background. I was in the sign industry. There you go. I feel like that's a very important skill to have. Like it makes, it helps every way, in every possible. Yeah. Um, so I grew up with the basic arts and craft time, you know, after school. My grandma was a um, art teacher also. She was mostly like sewing and painting, but she also, till this day, we still have our arts and craft time together. So that's kind of like our thing. Um, so that's where the background really comes from. 
as far as arts. It's okay. When this is kind of go off topic, but it kind of made me think about it. You know, there's a guy that we actually went to school with. I I don't know if you remember, but I'm not gonna say his name, but he was good at playing the guitar, right? So when we have go house parties, he there'd be a guitar there. He'd play the guitar, get all the ladies, right? Is there is there kind of a thing for artists, right? That basically kind of go the opposite direction. Like at a party, it can be a way of, I guess, drawing really quick. I guess to grab people's attention. But I mean, is your mom kind of an extrovert, introvert? Was your dad an extrovert? Using that skill set. I mean, what do you remember kind of growing up? I feel they've always been very open-minded, super okay. open-minded. Um, with my dad being in the music industry, I guess you can say, you know, having to do performances and like having to just network himself out. And back then, you know, social media wasn't like it is today. So back then they have more of like a one-on-one -on -one easier conversation started, I guess, versus now I'm yes. like, you can see me on social media and I'm like, hey guys, like what's up? And then in person I'm like, hi, I'm Danielle. Like, how are you? You know? So um, I've seen a difference in that sense. I feel like they're very open and out there and like, they will be like, yeah, I do this or I do that versus I'm like, yeah, I do that. But, but what about like parties? You know? I mean, like when they're out around people they probably don't know, are they more of outgoing? Because like, I mean, if you Michael, I mean, again, he put we we talk about this. I don't know, probably till I'm blue in the face. He he is his persona on social media is very outgoing. But if you talk to him, pretty much kind of introvert, right? Very. So. <laughs> yeah, right. So like, are your parents? I mean, because I'm assuming your dad, being an artist, probably is an extrovert, like kind of just naturally. Yeah. So they're both extroverts, I think, at the right time, but then also could be introvert as far as like appreciating alone time and me being more like having quiet days type of thing. Mm. But my mom, when they were together, my mom used to plan and like her market the concerts. So like they both had a good okay. outgoing personality where like you can say and they will find something to talk about. Um and entertain the people, I guess, with the conversations. And my dad will literally pull out a drum or whatever instrument to, you know, get the thing going. So. Well, well because I both of you guys are inter kind of introverts because Danielle says you're talking about introverts. You, this is a random question, but do you guys think you'd still be artists today if there wasn't social media? Because I don't think you're, are you, Danielle, you said you'd use social media, right? To get your stuff out there. Michael, he loves using social media to get stuff out there. Do you guys think <laughs> I you love it. I, just, I have to. Okay. But you do have to. Do you, do you think you guys would be artists still? I feel like I would be artist. Uh, I'm an artist. I don't know if I would be, if it would have, if my growth would have been as faster without the social media involved, if that makes sense, you know? Like when I was doing market, when I started doing markets, I had made previous connections from other artists who were attending that event. So I'd be like, oh, I would love to meet you when we go to this event. So I would come in to say hello with sort of, a previous conversation, even if it was a small talk, but there was already some sort of like foundation ready. Whereas I'm like, hey, I'm Danielle, let's start from zero type of thing, you know? Hmm. So I think I could do it just possibly slower than I have so far. Yeah, I think it would just be a, a different game. And I think it's a double sided coin. And I think that in terms of business, extroverts have this advantage of being outgoing, being able to present themselves, and that can very much help with sales. But social media has given introverts like myself the tools to have the reach and to be able to 
in increments, be a little more extroverted uh, to the degree that it can help them grow their business. Now, if we didn't have social media, I guarantee I probably wouldn't be able to reach as many people. But on the flip side of the coin, other people would not be reaching as many people either. So I think that just the clusters we would find would be different. But I think as artists, if the art is in you, that's what you were born to do. That's who you are. You find a way to make it work and you find creative solutions to make it work as artists have for centuries. Well, but you have to push your. I mean, like now, right, in anything we do, right, you can just post it on, on social media. And basically, if it's a skill set, people, it grabs people's attention. Of course, there's a lot more that goes into it, right? But then if you didn't have social media, you'd have to actually get on the corner and start talking to people. You know what I mean? Like, hey, look at my art piece. Hey, I got a show coming up. Come see me here. This is the, like, you got to push yourself out of a comfort level hard. You would, but it wouldn't be as saturated because people wouldn't know as many artists. People wouldn't be oh, having all these email blasts coming in and they wouldn't be inundated and overstimulated with seeing the work of thousands and thousands of artists daily through Instagram and Facebook. So if you had a little bit of the artist hustle in you, you could make it work. But I mean, you did hit on something where uh, historically some people have said like, oh, you know, I just want to be this recluse that lives in the mountains and makes my art. And somebody walks by my garage and sees my work and they happen to be an art dealer and push my work. And, you know, that's the dream for a lot of people. But that was not really a reality for more than like two or three people. You, you know, I actually got a piece of quote unquote art the other day because I was showing a property. <laughs> I saw the garage was open and I saw all these little like wooden Christmas trees already made. And like, I was just kind of like, look at the thing. And the guy drove up and he's like, can I help you? And I was like, you sell these trees? What's going on here? And he's like, yeah. So then I bought a tree while I was waiting for a client to go to a property. So but... you bought some more from someone. You bought some more. <laughs> yeah, it was like a little Christmas, like a wooden Christmas tree he made in his garage. So he guess well, he could be like, You're a certified art collector. I mean, yeah. I appreciate you supporting the arts, but I'm also be thinking, like, what the fuck, Vinny? You haven't bought any of my art. <laughs> it was, you know, it was for my wife. It was, it was like Christmas kind of time frame, and I was like, this is a gift that I'm gonna kind of give to her. Okay. Yeah. But you know what? That makes such a difference for artists. Uh, there's so many big businesses, and it's the big thing with like the Stanley mugs. I posted about that this week, where you know people are like going out and buying those, and it's like, hey, you know, if you gave that type of support to the local businesses, we'd be doing all right. I, I think that a lot of times people are willing to go into stores and don't think twice about spending money. But it seems like when it's small businesses, independent artists, we almost have to like push and fight a little bit harder. To be like, hey, hundred dollars for a mug, right? That's crazy. I think it was more. Is it was it a hundred? I don't know. I've seen them for like fifty plus, which I personally would not on a water bottle. You know. Each to their own, you know, but I think it's wild. Uh, and the way I see it is, I'm like, okay, you, because I've seen videos lately going on of like, I guess this, I don't know if I'm allowed to say brand names here, but um, yes. Target, for example, they were having the clearance run, right? Which I love. Don't get me wrong, I love me some good Target hauls. But um, so I guess they had like a countdown of like this Stanley stand on sale. And people were running. I'm talking like you would think there was a fire running towards these cups to grab. And they had a limit of like two per person. Um, so I'm like, if you guys are willing to spend $100 on mugs or cups or whatever, um, 
but then you turn around and see someone's art, which took them a while, could be. And, you know, some people, everybody prices differently. You know, some people might think $30 is worth what I'm offering versus other people say 500, 1000, whatever it is. Yeah. But if you're spending $50 plus on a water bottle and say I price a small piece of art for 30 bucks, but you come up to them and you're like, well, well, that's a little expensive. I just, I'm just going to be like, but is it, I mean, you know, is do it really? Do people negotiate with you guys for your art? I've seen that. I've had people do that at markets, mostly at markets. Because, you know, if you if you are a customer, you know how to negotiate, whether that's part of your daily job or just your skill, because I can never be like, I'll give you it's ten dollars, but I'll give you five for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? um, but I've had people do that. And because it's so on the spot where you're just like kind of like taken by surprise, it's easier for you to be like, yeah, sure. Like, whatever. It's making a sale, you know. And I'm so, never insulted when people ask to negotiate, but I know it kind of depends on the artist. It depends on the circumstances. How do you feel about it? Are you insulted or are you kind of always open to negotiate? I don't mind. I'm always open mostly because right now I don't have my own like designated studio. So I'm very limited on space. So it's kind of like I got to make, you know, keep it going, like a uh, yes. rotation type of thing, like make, let go, make, let go. So mm -hmm. I don't mind. And at the end of the day, if you're in it, like, yes, I'm trying to make a living out of it. But at the end of the day, I do it because I enjoy making the art. And if somebody else has to, you know, a budget or whatever it is to lower it a little bit, I don't mind. I will just be like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, I mean, do not lowball me for like a dollar on like a $50 thing, you know. But I mean, I'm willing to negotiate. So. Same with me. I mean, I always look at it as I want to find a win-win. And if I can make someone's day, make them happy. And sometimes the other thing is for artists, this is something you can do. You can negotiate with people, but if you come down on your price, maybe say to them, okay, I'm willing to do that, but would you consider leaving me a review on Yelp or on Google or, uh, you know, posting it on Facebook or posting it on Instagram and telling people about me or giving a referral, something like that. So you can always work with people. That's only at a street fair, right? You can't do it at a gallery. No, there's some flexibility. Like most of my galleries have about a 15% wiggle range where oh. somebody's like, oh, you know, can I get a discount? And, and sometimes my gallery will contact me and be like, hey, this person made this offer on this piece. Do you want to do it? And I could say no, but just like Danielle, a lot of times I am limited on space. I'm trying to make this work. So something out and money in is usually a win for me. Interesting. I, I, I didn't realize that, that you can, that there's wiggle room in that. Yeah. And my thing is also because I've, I'm such like um impulsive in the moment type of artist. Um, I'll make five pieces or whatever, you know, because I'm like hyper-focused on this specific design or art style. Um, and then it comes a couple of weeks later, I'm like, okay, well, I'm over. Like, I don't even want to have it in here. So that's when I'm like, Somebody get it. And sometimes I'll even be, I'll do giveaways because I feel like that's also a way to connect with new people. You know, you reach somehow new people sometimes. Um, and I'll do giveaways on it um, just because I feel like it gets the word out there. And I've had a lot of people come back through word of mouth, whether that's um, a market or online or even with the murals. So it's, I feel like negotiating, it's always an open possibility as long as you feel like it's fair for yourself and your work. That might be something for me to consider right now. Uh, I've done it before, but the giveaways, because it can sometimes generate just this boost of energy 
and direction towards your work, which can sometimes just get things back on track when it feels like you have lulls in the business. And I feel like it's also nice knowing that there's people willing to be part of your, your way, you know, like interested in possibly winning, which the, the chances are very slim if you're only picking one winner, for example, you know, but they're willing to like take the chance on it because I might win this artist free art. And it doesn't necessarily have to be on like your most expensive work. You know, yeah. if you do prints, which is a more budget friendly production type of art, um, that's also nice. Or even like gift cards for your your art that they can use on your website, things like that. Whatever it is, as long as it's free. That is the, that is the hook there. People so. do like free. <laughs> <laughs> I love free, so. <laughs> I mean, but I wonder though, I mean like freeze. I mean, free is nice, but do you appreciate free as much as you appreciate a massive discount, right? Well, like, you know that there's a value to it. Like, if one of my paintings is listed in my gallery on their website at fifteen hundred dollars, and we're doing a giveaway, and it can be seen that hey, there's a fifteen hundred dollar value for that, then I think in that case, there is an appreciation for it. Well, I think they almost have to buy in, though, right? I mean, like, buy in by like you said, commenting. If you, it, the first ten people comment are are in put into this raffle, or the first people to share this post and comment below are put into this raffle, or what, whatever it is. But they have to do almost like you said a buy-in of some sort by doing some kind of activity or paying something, a dollar or something like that, to get part mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, you're so right, and that's tricky too. Because speaking from experience, I have donated a lot of works over the years to like nonprofits, to raffles, auctions, things like that. And for raffles, I would sometimes donate pieces that were worth a couple thousand dollars. And the amount of money that was earned by the raffle in many cases was like 20 bucks. <laughs> oh, you know, like I'm glad, you know, I, I was happy to give you this piece, but it's not really generating even any interest or anything like that. So I don't want to say don't donate things, but you kind of got to do your research and make sure that you're getting like a little promotion out of it or something or that it's working for you because I have in many cases donated things where there was really nothing that kind of came on the back end. And I've had people tell me, well, you know, you can write it off. You can write it off. That's not how it works with art because I have a bookkeeper. I have a CPA and I have tried doing this before. And they come back to me every time and say, well, unless it's appraised and blah, blah, blah. And even if it's appraised, you still probably can't get the value, the retail value of the work generally for donations of art you can only get the cost of the materials so it's like okay so i made something that's priced at two thousand dollars but all i can claim on a donation is the material cost which is like the canvas and the paint so technically i'm actually losing money because all my time went into that so it's not like i want to be selfish but it's like i make my living as an artist and i want to donate i want to help more people but it doesn't always benefit artists to do donations for that reason. Yeah. And I think as an artist, the main thing is setting your own boundaries, within, whether that's with someone else or like within your own self. Just like, okay, I'm willing to donate this piece, this piece at this much, but that's it. Like, I don't, I cannot go any lower or any, you know, I think boundaries are important. Um, especially when you're trying to make a living out of it. Because otherwise, if you have no boundaries, you will not make it i mean you know or at least as as far as you want it to go so and if you're not doing this for a living like if this is a side hustle or a hobby for you 
it kind of does give you some freedom to just do whatever you feel mm -hmm. good about, which is which can be nice because when I had another job and I had income coming in, I was able to take more liberties and just kind of be like, oh, okay, today I feel like doing this or today I feel like doing that. Whereas it's like now, because this is my sole source of making my living, I have to be much more conscientious about every little decision and where the time and the energy goes and where I'm giving things away in like public percent. It's a different game when it transitions from hobby to living. I agree. And I noticed that because, so my educational background is psychology. I did um, my four years in psychology, clinical psychology mostly. And I worked at a behavioral center for four years. So during this whole time, art was more of a side hustle. And then once I finished school that I had a little more free time, I turned more into like a part-time as far as like putting in five or plus hours at home and then going to my, you know, not nine to five because it was night shift, but nine to five jobs, say. Um, and then you kind of see the difference because when I had that, I don't want to say distraction at the job, but the stress of work or whatever, I felt more inspired or the need to create different things. But I also had that income coming in where I could be like, okay, this could flop and it's fine. Yeah. Versus going full time where now I'm like, if this flops, can I make it to next month's bills? You know, like it's a different perspective. Yeah, it's a different perspective. So I've had my share of back and forth where that I'm like, should I go back to get a backup income just to cover the bills, but also be able to enjoy the art again as much as I have previously? Because I can, I've noticed a difference. And, and same thing with inspiration and also with different kind of product that I could provide for the customers. So whether that's like making little extra stickers or making more t-shirts, you know, because I have that extra income where it was like separated. Now it's just all in the same ball where it's like bills, product, gas, like everything in one thing. So there's definitely a pressure that comes with doing part-time side hustle or full-time. Yeah, there, there really is. So you don't, I mean, being that you mean you both, I mean, I, I guess, right. If you're both trying to fight for your next paycheck, right, based off your art, if someone <laughs> survive, if someone survive, right? I mean, it was just like everyone. I mean, I'm in the sales industry too, right, with real estate, right? But I mean, like, if someone's trying to get a better deal on your artwork when they're negotiating with you, I mean, how uh, how do you protect yourself from not just giving in because of the hunger of getting that that little bit of paycheck, yeah. relative to like having faith in kind of who you are and what your art is actually worth. Well, there's a flexibility. I think that's where the boundaries come in. So do you actually Go think ahead. about it when you're ahead? Of that, uh, well, is, there, is there a number that comes in your head going, I'm usually willing to give 10%, 15% sometimes because you almost have to have a set number because in the, the heart of it, right? Are you really going to make a quick decision like that? Okay, F it. I'll give 50% off of this, right? I mean, which I don't know, right? Whatever. Well, I'm definitely aware of the profit margins and what the circumstances are. It's oh, like, are. okay, you know, is this a piece that I'm selling directly? Is this a piece that's consigned to the gallery? Uh, if it's consigned to the gallery, I'm already going to lose 50%. So it's like, okay, any discount on that piece, you. losing 50% of whatever that final number is. So when it is just me, I have a little more autonomy in that. 
But I factor in like, okay, well, do I have to package, create, ship, and insure this piece? How much is that going to cost? Okay, once I subtract that, what are my profit margins? What's my current situation right now? How much does this piece mean to me? Like I have marquee pieces, like the piece behind me for those watching on YouTube. Like this is one of my pieces that it's like, it's a marquee piece. There's a little flexibility, but it's a money piece and it will stay with me until it sells for something in the vicinity of the range that it is listed at. Then I have other smaller pieces where it's like, okay, you know, uh, bargaining or bartering on a piece that's in the 500 to a thousand dollar range is very different than bartering or bargaining on a piece that's in the $30,000 range. So it's one of those things that as artists, we kind of just, and as a salesperson, we need to just kind of look at it on a case by case basis of what's good for me. How is this going to help me move forward? I guess you don't really so do that. When, when it comes to gallery work, <laughs> but do you get people all the time trying to be like, can you take like 10 K off? Well, you know, like, it's, on, know. Yeah, it's, on, it's more on commissions, right? For, I mean, for at least for me, for the real estate side, the, um, it, it, I think it's in the Asian culture. Someone was telling me that they give massive amount of like, like, I think it's like something like 70% or 60% or something like that of their commissions back to the client. Like it was something crazy like that. I was like, I mean, first off, you got to basically do a lot of business and not you're not really focusing on each client, right? The same thing of like artwork, right? I'll, well, I'll, I'll, well, basically a volume game, but your quality is going to go down, right? Yeah. I mean, so for like your artwork, right? Like if someone said, if you're charging whatever the number is, right? And they say, I want 90% off it. Oh, shoot. I can give you, I can give you five of those, but the painting is not going to be as good as, as a hundred percent. Right. I mean, like the motivation will not be there. Yeah. The motivation, uh, and, and instead of spending an, I mean, uh, a day or so on it, I'll spend basically, you know, an hour <laughs> on it. Like, uh, well, no. And if you are clearancing everything and just not holding firm on anything, it kind of destroys your your system. It destroys your base. And it's like, as an artist that works with galleries, I have an established kind of price range for different pieces, different styles, different sizes. And there's a little wiggle room within that, but there is a range that I generally work within. And I honestly, I do find that people are respectful enough. I have never really had anybody be like, oh, can you take 75% off? In fact, I've had people be like, you know, I don't feel that I can pay close to what it's listed at. And I would never ask you to do that because I feel like it would be demeaning or to request something of that nature. So I find that people are more on the respectful side of the value of my work. And for that reason, they don't ask for discounts quite like that. Well, it's like, uh, oh no, in like Mexico or like China or something like that, right? I mean, it was even, the crazy thing is, is like in the stores like in China, at least when I, it was a long time ago, where the number there, you're supposed to negotiate the number. And I always thought like you're never you're inside a store. It's not supposed to. This is the number. This is the number. And it's like almost foolish not to actually kind of shoot down the price a little bit. And then like in Mexico on the street, people, I mean, you got to basically shoot down the number. So it's it's. Yeah, I, mean, so I don't think it's negative. So you're huh? kind of talking about like street vendor or maybe street art or things that you see at an outdoor but, festival versus going into a high-end gallery. So there's kind of like a spectrum of like – Even in, in like in, in in parts of like – well, at least for China, and I mean I'm assuming there's other like Eastern Europe. I mean I don't really remember too much, but when I was traveling out there, like even inside the store, right, it was like the number we're asking for is not the set number. You have room to negotiate even in the store. 
So, I mean, it's a cultural thing too. And I don't think it's a negative thing. It's just basically a cultural thing. It's a, it's a very common thing in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, which is uh -huh. where I'm from. Um, super common. Like my dad, that man can negotiate. But um, and I think it's just, like you said, a cultural thing. Over there, you know, you, there's a big, um, it's a very cultural, artistic country. Um, but also, you know, I feel like with tourist places like that, you have a lot of, um, I don't want to say fast, not like the fast fashion of art, but faster production, let's say. And because they have so much, they're willing to take off whatever percent off just to make a sale. And I feel like it depends on who you are and it works for you and you you can't afford to be like, I'll give you 50% off if you take this home right now. Like, you know, if it works for you, it works for you. But at the same time, like we said, like keep that boundary of, or in mind, like what your goal is. Are you living off of this or are you just spreading the thing around, the art around? Well, like Michael was talking about, he was talking more so about like the some of the people don't even want to take less of it because they don't want to offend him because he's living off it, right? But I don't even think that in like, like where you're from, right? I don't know if people are actually thinking if it's like offensive. They're just like, this is part of the business. Like I, I'm, I'm supposed to try to cut down the price. I'm not trying to offend you, right? No, trust me. Yeah. There are times that I wish people would like where people are like, oh, you know, I don't want to offend you by asking you to go less. I'm like, there are times that I've been like, you know, I'm happy to go 20% less yeah. and call it a day because I know that you're going to. So the other thing is, is if I know that it's somebody that is going to appreciate it and that's going to respect the work and that's going to share it, that has an intangible value to me that is worth more than the 20%. So that's where kind of the relationships come into play as well. So it's a very muddied game in the arts, in the sale of arts. Yeah, I think with the in-person, for example, because online, you have the power of how much percent you really want to give off. So, for example, yeah. like I'll have a sale of 20% off when you spend X amount. That's you. You have control over that um, in person, because I always also take account. I'm not shipping things because you're buying it right there. So that's already a cost that I kind of like take off. Um you, I'll do a couple of deals. So, for example, say buy one sticker for $3 or buy three stickers for 7 So yeah. instead of buying two stickers, I'm like, do you want one more for a dollar extra? So I feel like people find those kind of deals useful. And sometimes that's why I don't get as much as like negotiation because it's already a deal. Well, no, it is a real deal. So, for example, prints, buy one for 20 or buy two for 35 you get five dollars off so when people see it that way they already see like you're willing to not give less for your art but work with them and their budget because you know there's a big range of budgets for everybody because you know you have people who genuinely love supporting the locals but then you also have people who like want to do that but under budget which is totally fine also because i go out sometimes on a budget myself and i'm like well today i have this much to spend at this market or you know wherever the case is so I yeah. feel like it's all how you see things and if you're willing to work with the community also, with the supportive community. Because you, at the end of the day, you want to appreciate them too, like show appreciation towards that. And you mentioned something else there too. You mentioned online versus in person. And for a long time, one thing that I did was I did not list prices online. If people wanted originals of mine, they had to contact me. And that was such a conundrum because it was like, I don't want to list the prices 
and scare people off. I also want to be able to have conversations with people because it allows me to kind of cultivate the relationship and to have a dialogue back and forth and to negotiate with people that might be intimidated by those prices that may factor in crating and shipping, which can sometimes be hundreds of dollars. But mm -hmm. also have a market these days that does not want to talk to the seller, that wants to go on and purchase something, that may just get drunk one night, swipe their card, purchase something, and hey, I don't want to miss out on the drunk sales. So I, was kind of, <laughs> so I was torn for a long time of whether it was the right thing to do or not because of my price points to list my originals online. And once my gallery started listing them online, I was like, okay, you know, I'll list a few. So I don't list them all, but I, I still am kind of torn on, like when artists ask me, should I list all my stuff online or should I not list prices? And I'm kind of torn. I think it can kind of go both ways for artists. And I feel like that's something I'm learning now as I'm getting more into murals because mural pricing is one of like my hardest things because it's at, at the end of the day, I enjoy doing the murals, you know, it's, it's great for portfolio, it's great exposure, it's great this and that. But um, so on the form, I used to have a budget range where you can pick like, okay, I'm willing to spend between this much and this much or, you know, different ranges. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, I would use that as a guidance as far as like, okay, you have this budget, so I can design this for that budget. You know, not to do too much, but not too little, just kind of meet halfway. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of losing my, where was I going with this? Oh, just uh, your methodology um, for pricing in the, the budget range for people. It literally <laughs> went away. No, um, but I don't know, Vinny, were you listening? Because you can't even tell me yourself. <laughs> I was going out with Michael. I was going with Michael. <laughs> But you're talking about finding something that works for people that so you could give them the best value for what they had to work with. And that's something that I have done too. A lot of times I will ask people if they just contact me and say, I'm interested in your work. I'll say, well, what is your budget range? And once they give me a range of whether it's a commission or an established piece, it allows me to then kind of be like, oh, okay, their budget is 500 to 1,000, 1,000 to 2,500, 2,500 to 5,000, 5,000 to 10,000, 10,000 plus. And it allows me to then kind of go back and like be like, oh, okay, well, this is what I can do for that. And it kind of allows an artist to maximize the budget to get as much money as you can, but to give them the most value for that. Okay. I think you brought me back to my point was um, that I used to list that option. I took it away just because at the end of the day, I mean, I do have a minimum for the murals, right? But as far as like specific quoting, I think it, it depends because there's so many different things that you take into factor, whether that's like traveling or materials or whether it's outside or indoor. So what I have now is I have the generic form and then where I ask questions like, what is your vision? Like measurements of the wall? Like, what are you looking for? Lettering or, or more of a simple, like simple minimalist design. Um, and then I go from there for pricing because it's, you know, I feel like it's just more custom to the, client and so you can see like listen i'm willing to work with you i do have a minimum where we start off but that depends the final quote depends on what you're looking for and because sometimes like like i like we said if we're starving and we got to make money out here then you yeah. will figure it out and so 
What's the ballpark min- uh, for? You don't have to tell me precise numbers, but what's ballpark for a mural? What yeah, I was curious about this too, Daniel. I was curious if you were willing to kind of share like the range of some of your murals uh, just for context. So what I've learned, because this is all literally self-taught in the sense where like I've just done my research as to if there's like um, equations or formulas to use for pricing and stuff. So from what my research has taught me, um, a lot of people do this for square foot. So you would do, say, if you're starting off, because it also depends on your experience and, you know, et cetera. So if you start off, you would do $10 per square footage, you know? So if you have a four by six, that's 24, that's $240 for the thing, the space, the wall. But normally you would include materials in that quote. On top of that? No, in the, in the thing, in the... Within that $240, you would provide the materials with that for that yes. cost? But again, that depends on design. Because if you're using one color and it's a smaller space where you can use an eight ounce of paint, you know, that's obviously lower than a six color design that obviously needs six different colors. Unless you're willing to sit there and do the whole color of wheel yourself and mix things, you know. Um, yeah. Oh, so I did a mural. I, for, I did a mural for a festival a uh, little over a year ago, and I had to get like a base color from Home Depot, and so you have to get a certain uh, a quantity of that. I had to get like a gallon of it for the color that I needed, and that color was north of a hundred dollars just for basically the primer coat. Mm-hmm. So and your, your that's, that's like I said, it depends. It depends on. Indoor or outdoor? Outdoor paint is obviously more expensive because it needs more um, vetted coverage and it has like all these chemicals that help reserve the paint better or the quality of it um, for aftercare, whether it's like sunlight or climate, you know, all those kind of things. So I've started off from before when I first started, started where I was like, this is just for me to get my name out there and also have some sort of portfolio to go show the clients. I've done murals as low as 200, depending, obviously, nothing crazy, but, you know, basic design. Or whereas I've I've charged 7K for one. So it all depends also on your clientele, because if, for example, if my main audience is homeowners from, like, you know, your regular person, their budget is going to be way lower than a company who makes all its money and can afford a higher priced mural. Yeah. So it all depends. Again, it all depends on what you're willing to work for and who you're willing to work for. Yeah, that's a good point, too. And it's something that I take into consideration a lot is who is the client? Am I dealing with a corporate client, a company that spends a bunch of money and they can? And I posted something about this today. Art for businesses is oftentimes a write off. So is it something they're going to be writing off anyway? In which case, Mm -hmm. you should be covering my time materials. You should be doing some promotion on this. But uh, the other kind of tricky thing for artists and when it comes to murals is that there's always somebody out there willing to work for free and for exposure. And somebody always knows. And I'm not knocking anybody, not knocking anybody working for free. I mean, hey, when you're trying to get your name out there, sometimes the best way to do that is to work for free. But it does kind of create a little bit of a conundrum for people that make a living doing this. And like for someone like me that has stuff priced a little bit higher, in many cases, I am going to be priced out because of my rates versus somebody that's going to be willing to just do it for 
a little bit of exposure and a post or something of that nature. So mm-hmm. it's a, uh, it's interesting because you can get somebody to do it for free. You can get somebody to do it for this price. You can get somebody to do it for that price. And it's really kind of all over the map. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like because I've done things for free and, but when I first started, for example, where I had one reel or a couple of reels go off, which is what helped, helped my following really go up on the mural side of my art. Um, what I was doing is I had a couple of friends who are also small business owners and they had their boutiques and they had, you know, their shops and stuff. And I was like, Hey, I am willing to give you um, a mural again, nothing, nothing crazy, but like decorate your space. Um, as long as you put in the materials, you cover the materials and we'll work on something, which one of those couple of those content creation, I guess, deals, you can call them. It's what helped me take off. So it paid off at the end because he made he helped me get more more jobs and more people coming in and be like hey can i get a quote for this and so it's worked out um Wait, so what happened what you're willing to do what happened with that one what? that took off you said the one oh, that took it off. was on instagram it like went viral and so i got more jobs from that because they were like oh i saw you on on instagram i saw this mural and so i had like from that free i guess kind of free jobs more things came from it was it so, your instagram though or was it their instagram yeah it was yours mine yeah okay, okay. so you kind of wait out yeah, ahead it was of a time. win-win yeah so you wait out ahead of time though kind of the risk reward in that situation like the visibility was going to be part of the compensation in essence i hoped that was my goal so i was like hopefully because i started noticing that my i guess algorithm or my audience was gravitating more towards mural content. And I'm not sure if this was just like one of those things where that's what's been highlighted on my Instagram personally, but I noticed that was like the main interest. So I was getting a lot of engagement on that. So I was like, okay, maybe if I make more content, I don't have my own house for me to be painting all my walls however I want. Um, So I figured, okay, let me just, you know, work with other business owners who understand the whole upcoming you know, process of it and are willing to do half and half. And obviously that also gains exposure for them as well as for me, because I'm like, Hey, I have this new mural where you can go take pictures or go see it in person. So it's kind of like a win-win. And I think that's the good thing about working with other small business owners who understand and like are willing to help each other. Those who don't see things as competitions, like you were saying. So networking at its finest. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes down to like working. And that's something I've been doing a lot lately is things have gotten tighter, things have gotten tougher. And so it's like, okay, how can I work off of other people? How can I support other small businesses? How can we work together? So I think it's important just as a quick little reminder, not to work against other people, but to work with other people. They don't have to be your competition. There's ways that everybody can win and everybody can eat. And I think that you really hit on something with the murals too, because we've had different types of artists on here. And uh, I've kind of noticed what I have seen on Instagram in terms of what gets a lot of traffic and murals really seem to. And I think it's a a number of factors. One, I think that it's big and people like big stuff. Like you see a person in relation to the work and when the work is bigger than the person, there's just something really captivating about that. I think that there's a lot of artists out there that want to work big, but one, maybe they're afraid or two, maybe they don't have the resources. But working big, it's just, it's so liberating. And for me personally, 
I actually find working large easier than working small because when I'm working small, I was going to say that there's such a limited dexterity. I'm like so tight. Whereas when it's big, I can really kind of open up. Yeah. And it also depends on the style you're doing because some might work for smaller canvases or small scale things or surfaces, but some things just catch your eye more as a large scaled piece, whether that's a mural or on a canvas where it just works because you have more room, like you said, to, I guess, express the art and, you know, complete it. And I also feel like with the murals, it became a thing because with social media and like all these Instagrammable spots and whenever people are traveling, cause you know, that thing has become such an aesthetic thing now also. Yeah. Um, those fun murals like attract the people and it's like, okay, I've seen this mural, like next time I visit this town or city, I wanna go ahead and take a picture of it or with it. So I think it's a great way to just spread. And like you can use murals for anything, like, you know, bring awareness to whatever it is. Also. Very true. So. so are some of yours in very visible areas around your town? In or so the thing with I feel like public art, it's harder with with play, public places because sometimes they need the city to approve it or they need some certain like permits or licenses and stuff. So the ones I have in Orlando are more within someone's business where they have the say we're like okay we can put this or we can work with that but i've also had um people tell me my landlord does not allow any type of like permanent art permanent as in murals um or even signage so it depends um i did have so here in orlando there's this place called let me i better not say it but <laughs> um it's basically it have an open parking spot parking lot where it has like different murals for local artists it's free but also it's it's like you bring your own materials you don't get paid for it it's just kind of like your own freestyle thing um and but the only thing with that is like you're putting in your time you're putting in your material money and then you know it's gonna get covered eventually because it's like a rotating type of thing oh, okay. um so like you can get your name out there that way because you can be like, hey, I have this temporary mural where you can go take pictures with it. It just sucks that because it's temporary, it's not always gonna be there and people might go back for it, but it's not there, you know? So, but that's good for people who are starting up and just trying to get it, the experience of working outdoors or in different scales or different wall texture, you know? So I, I see everything, I say yes to everything because you always learn from something, like something from that, whether it's something that you want to improve on or something like, okay, I did this and I'm not going to do it again because it didn't work out, you know? Absolutely. No, and I, I think that you're right too about uh, the murals and when there, it's a photo op, it just creates so much more engagement. And the other thing is interactive pieces. So when I did the piece at the festival, it was an interactive piece called, so basically I wrote hashtag free yourself and people could come up and write on it. But the one thing I learned is you cannot control what people write. So there were a lot of dicks on it. <laughs> and this thing went from like a very aesthetically pleasing piece of art to a what the fuck is that type of thing. And like, <laughs> it was a music festival. So like, I get it. People were on drugs, people, but, but, and people were doing it. Like they were just nonstop at it. But you know, it's, um, Looked very different after two days. How did you rank that the was drawing this? 
How do you rank what? <laughs> How do you rank the drawings of the dicks? Were they good quality like drawings or are they more like subpar? The accurate? I look for the fine detail. I look for the perspective and the foreshortening. <laughs> um, you know, all the critical elements of Renaissance art, the chiaroscuro and the sfumato and, and whatnot. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very uh, locked in on, on my criticism of that. <laughs> From an art historical Were the, um Was this festival sort of like an EDC type of festival? It's called Wonderfront. So it's all different types of music uh, over uh, by the water line here by the bay in San Diego. So uh, it, it was nice to do. I was thinking that more people were going to post and tag me <laughs> because I had yeah. stuff on there. But again, it's one of those things you just never really know. There were some people that did. You know, maybe I ended up in the photos of some people's stuff. Maybe some people do follow me because they found me there. But, um, you know, the hope is just that if you're going to create something temporary and it takes a lot of time and it takes money, that you'll get some type of dividend on the back end of it. And, you know, sometimes it happens. Sometimes it happens later. So you, you, you just never really know. And as artists, you know, we take chances. And like you said, Danielle, we... Uh, either figure out the things that we like, or maybe we figure out things that we want to tweak or things that we don't want to do again. And all of those are valuable lessons. Yeah. And so I said that because the mural that I was talking about, the parking lot, I had done it, spent my only two days off from the hospital back in the day, <laughs> doing this in Florida heat. Um, the experience itself was fun. However, there was a mix up between the manager and the next artist and the number assigned, like the wall assigned. So my mural was gone within 48 hours. And I was just like, nobody even had a chance to go see it. And you know, whatever. And like, I was notified by a worker from the next business over like, hey, I saw you working on this two days ago, but like, just wanted to give you a heads up that this happened. And I was just like, like I knew that was gonna happen, but not within that little bit of time, you know? I didn't even get to go take my professional photos for my portfolio, which was the whole point of, of that. I was going to ask you, did you at least get, because if at least if you get the photos, you can be like, hey, I did this and you can post it and share it. <laughs> if you don't even get that, it's like, oh. No, I got, you know, I got my photos for like my photos, not like the professional ones. But I look back at it and I'm like, wow, like my technique has grown from that, from those days of doing funeral, like funeral. So Again, an experience like I wouldn't do something like that again, but I also have seen my growth since then. Yeah. From that one picture that I got. So, so you, you talk experience. about doing saying yes and and from yes you try to figure out what you learn from it. I mean, we're pretty much halfway through, I mean, not farther along. So what have you learned from this podcast so far? Well, first of all, that I don't know if you listen to half of the things I've been saying. <laughs> But it also, no, but I've learned as far as like the whole, where Michael was saying things with like the negotiation with galleries, because I've, I've been wanting to try gallery work, I guess, more. Um, I was part of one, but because, and that's where my introvert side came out, where I was like, I don't know any of these artists versus when I do markets, you see kind of the same vendors every now and then, you know, and you build that relationship there versus when I was at the gallery I didn't know another artist and I was very shy to be like hey this is my work you should buy it because that's where I'm saying I will not sit here and like shove my art down your throat like I will be like yeah you, sh you should buy it but I'm not gonna like force you either so yeah. it felt very out of comfort of my comfort zone um 
they had wine, which was a great um, icebreaker. But so I don't know. I would like to try gallery. I do have my first solo show coming up next in March. Oh, right on! Congratulations. See how that goes. Thanks. With these, actually. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, so I think that would be good to kind of dive into so some of the different ways that you can show your artists and artists is to do the fairs and the festival circuit. And we talked with Jason Humphrey, who does a lot of the festivals and fairs and events here in San Diego, many of which I've done, but I kind of got away from. Part of the reason I got away from them is because it just wasn't the right market for me. I found that when I did the fairs and festivals, there were oftentimes hundreds of other artists. And because there were hundreds of other artists, by the time they got to me, people were overstimulated. They weren't really looking to buy. And so with all the overhead and whatnot associated with that, it just didn't seem like it was a good financial decision for me. So as I've shifted more towards working with galleries, I always said, oh, well, I'll do those events if I do them through the gallery. So the gallery is bringing me, they may be bringing other artists, but I'll come out and I'll live paint or something like that. But one of the things that I'm doing right now, because you mentioned wanting to work with galleries more, is I myself am looking to work with more galleries, in particular galleries in other cities, other markets, because I found that San Diego, I've tried to avoid saying this for a long time, but it's a difficult market. It's not an impossible market, but it's a difficult market. And I have several galleries here. I love them. They're great. But I need to find relationships in other markets. And the best time to find new galleries is when you already have galleries because it's like success. People want success when you mm -hmm. have success, but how can you get success without success? It's like the thing about like, you want to move into a new industry, but you have to have experience, but how do you get experience without having experience? So I feel blessed right now in that I have some galleries that I work with because I can use that to try to leverage that to find the new relationships. And so I can also look at the other artists in my galleries that I try to work with and be like, well, who do they show with in other cities? And I can reach out to them and be like, hey, can you put in a word for me? Because a lot of times when it comes to the art industry, word of mouth and a referral can go a long way. And, and sometimes that's mm -hmm. the hard part is just like getting your foot in the door. And for San Diegans, if you have heard that correctly, um, Michael says you're difficult. So if you see Michael walking on the street, <laughs> there you go. You know what? I'm not even gonna. Uh, <laughs> there goes your clientele. I'm gonna like. I'm gonna validate and say yes. You're right. Like, there are people here that I'm like. I do events here, and and I'm like, if people don't like my art, that's fine. But it's not just me. Like, I have done a lot of the events here, and people like there will be alcohol booths, like wine booths, right next to like one of the artist booths. People will go up, spend $30 on a glass of wine, but people will not then come over to the artist booth and spend $3 on a motherfucking sticker. It's like, come on here. We're fucking starving. Buy a goddamn sticker. Just a sticker. Well, it is crazy the pricing of alcohol out on the belt. So you said, my question is for a Californian, I guess Californians, you guys. Um, I was there last year and I did go to San Diego for a couple of days. Um, and Venice Beach and like all the, the stores. And I saw there's such a heavy like artist scene, right? With like all the arts, whether that's just street art or commission art, I guess you would say. LA is much bigger. So if you were near Venice, that is much bigger. LA is, is much bigger. Like I went to school in LA. Like LA was the place I was told, like, why would you go back to San Diego? San Diego is like, there's not much going on there. And my thought process is, well, I grew up there. I love it there. That's where I'm comfortable. 
I'm going to be successful where I can kind of work within my ability. Like I will push myself, but I can also push myself to be a big fish in a small pond. And I can be a voice that kind of helps shape the scene there. And so that was kind of my thought process. And I've tried to do that. I hope I've done that. You know, I can't say whether I have or not. Other people would have to kind of speak on that. But um, and it's not that I'm trying to leave San Diego. It's just that I know I need to kind of grow outside of your comfort zone and at least add on. And like, so I'm looking now at like Laguna, which is a like in so Laguna is in between LA and San Diego, and that's a, a money market. So demographics where there's a lot of money being spent on art. Uh, I'm looking at Scottsdale. Scottsdale is a big market. I'm looking at Florida, uh, particularly kind of uh, where you are, because I know that that's a big market. Santa Fe, New York. Yeah, so, but would it, if you go to Florida, I mean, because you've talked about it, right? The cost and the headache of actually transporting your art, right? Florida yeah. being a long, I mean, a long way to get your <laughs> art out there, expensive, no? Yes. So there are a couple galleries that I'm looking at that are technically online only galleries. which means that they'll put my stuff online and then if it sells, I have to ship it. But the sale has been made. The other thing is, is I'm looking at some galleries that show some smaller pieces. So if I have to bundle up 10 smaller pieces in Kratom, yeah, it's going to cost some money, but it's not going to be ridiculous. And maybe I can talk to the gallery and be like, hey, will you split the cost with me? Because sometimes, you know, you have a contract with the gallery. And if you have some pull, if you can move your work, you may have a little negotiating power there. So you know, there's something there. And then if it's a gallery that's going to show bigger pieces, but they can move them, maybe they put them up on their website at first and try to move them online. They get a collector to buy a piece for like 10 grand. Well, guess what? Okay, now I have some cash flow. Now we can send three pieces out there that you can actually put in the gallery. So these are things I'm conscientious of because it's not like I'm not going to just send a bunch of big pieces to a gallery that I've never met in person a place I've never been so that my work is all out there and I've spent all this money because it is extremely expensive, you know? So I am considering all these things, but I have to recognize that San Diego has not been sufficient because it's not as much of a buyer's market as some of these other cities like Laguna, like Scottsdale, like Santa Fe, like New York, uh, like, you know, I even, I get more sales from the Midwest than I do in San Diego. I do most of my physical events here in San Diego, yet I get more sales of original paintings in the Midwest from people that have never seen my work in person, people buying stuff sight unseen, which tells me that I am missing my demographic and I am missing my market. Well, how, Would how that much be is because... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, for both, I guess both of you, and you, I mean, sorry to jump around. How much is, how much is your artwork and how much is your story? Make sense? Danielle, like, so, like, <laughs> right. So, I mean, because we've talked about it, right, where someone, like, their emotional feel off it, right? They see it, right? But they also have mm-hmm. something that they they watch your Instagram, like Danielle or Michael, right? So they they see a story. They see basically the from for Michael, like, oh, the pain he's going through. This art is selling pain, right, compared to the picture, right? So there's at least a 5%, 2%, 10% of people are buying the painting, but they're also buying the kind of the story, right? The emotional connection. Yeah, right. So they're but they're buying that story of you, right? So they have to know yeah. a little about you, and then they're gonna buy. They like the painting too. It kind of goes hand in hand, right? So yeah. what percentage is what? Yeah, I mean, they're buying a piece of you. They're they're investing in you. They're investing in your story. They're investing in your future. 
I don't know. I, I think it's it's almost like it could be a hundred a hundred. You know, it's not something that you can necessarily separate. I don't think. And I, I think, think that's when it. That's why I'm so, I guess, shy about doing gallery work or something that's more one on one because I feel like obviously people want to you know meet the artist and be like, what is the reasoning behind all this? But my reasoning behind starting the art thing was because it was something I enjoyed, but it was also an outlet working from the psychiatric hospital where it was just like a, your general outlet of hobby. Um, so it's like, if you sat here and you asked me like, what is the meaning behind your art? I don't have like a very deep, deep, deep reasoning behind it. Hmm. Other than it was good for my mental health. And I feel like I'm not the only one who goes through these kind of waves. And if it makes me feel happy, all the colorful, you know, and I do have some things that have more like positive sayings on it, like the stickers and t-shirts are more of like motivational things, but that's kind of it. Like if it, if, if it means, if it brings you joy, then that is my goal because that's how I view my art, you know? And Danielle, you mentioned me mental health in the psychiatric hospital. Have you worked with or targeted working with hospitals and doing murals for them because that's something that I have been really trying to get into because there is a lot of money there but and it's not just about the money but like yes the I'm not gonna lie money is nice yeah. in the sense that it puts a roof over your head but it's yeah. nice to be able to do stuff in like when you're connected to mental health and you want to help people to be able to create something of hope and of inspiration to put in those places have you worked with some of those so I haven't had a personal reach towards like other hospitals. Um, coming from where I worked, I knew that wasn't the owners or CEO or whatever main interest as far as like giving a more of like a homey feel to the facility because it was very straight to the point. You know, I think that would have been a great choice for the kids unit, for example, who, you know, I feel like some sort of motivational thing design or the colors would be a little more appealing because they're kids um i would do i would like to do some work with them i mean regardless of whether it's a mural or just some sort of thing so i have a coloring book for example it's very interactive and it's just kind of like a your basic detract like distress doodling freehand whatever you know um so it has like a doodle challenge or it has like make a list of things you're grateful for today Things like that that I feel like would be great activities for people in the hospital during their stay because it's just like a simple take your mind off type of thing. Um, I just now started reaching out more formally to businesses to be like, hey, would you like to do a mural for this? Or for example, like I would love to do a mural at a school yeah. with, you know, elementary age or even middle school. High schoolers, I don't know. They're kind of scary nowadays. But the whole thing of, using the art to kind of motivate the younger, I don't want to say younger generation because I feel like you guys think I'm a baby, but the younger kids. Well, how old do you think we are? <laughs> I don't know, but I get told I look 15 sometimes. And I'm like, well, thank you, but no. <laughs> Michael, you're what, so, 20, right? 22? I, yeah, I'm I will take that. I'm one season away from 40. So, <laughs> but, um, so, Danielle, you mentioned a coloring book, and were you, were you the one I was talking to that you got to deal with jiggy puzzles? Yes. We so have that's that that I wanted to work. So, because uh, I was going to ask you, you have work that appears to be very licensing friendly. 
And I was going to ask you if you have worked on licensing deals and we can kind of talk a little bit about that to show artists the opportunities that can be provided through licensing deals. So the thing is, I have absolutely no knowledge in licensing. I've tried to sit down and like do my research and like understand it more on the legal side of things. So I don't get, you know, fucked over later on where it's like, you know, I feel like the contract is like the main part with licensing and I just have no sort of legal background knowledge for this. Um, so I think as far as licensing, the only one that I have worked with is Jiggy, which I enjoyed because I've always wanted to do a, a puzzle. I just feel like it's a fun thing. But other than that, I don't think I have had any other situation like that. Because even with the murals, I, I know there's people who say, okay, you can have this mural design for X amount of time. To me, I'm just like, what am I going to do? Come back to your house a year from now and be like, hey, it's time to renew your contract in your home. You know, like I just haven't had that situation where it requires a timeline. But I do feel like I need to have more knowledge on it. Well, I, I may be able to help you out a little bit with that. And I think that you and I, when we were talking a while back, because we talked about Jiggy Puzzles, I think that you were actually asking me about that because it's something that I've done a little bit of, of or a little bit of that I'm trying to get into more. I am represented by an agency that kind of helps me with some of that. So last week, our guest was somebody that recently licensed me for digital trading cards. We have had Swap-Ons as a sponsor who has licensed me for phone cases and whatnot, but your work definitely has a very licensing friendly feel. So I feel like you would probably actually perform even better than I do in terms of licensing relationships for your work. So we can definitely talk more about that privately, but uh, I think that that is a great opportunity for artists. It is oftentimes supplemental passive income. It's a way to get your work on different products of big companies I have my work licensed as canvas prints through several sources and through one of those sources, one of the distribution channels is Bed Bath & Beyond. So like if you go to the Bed Bath & Beyond website and you type my last name, it comes up with a bunch of my work that's available. So licensing can be great, but you do want to pay attention to the contracts. It may vary based on the business that you're working with. Some companies may offer what's considered high royalties, like maybe 25%-ish. Some may offer 10%, some may offer 5%. But it gets interesting because I sell canvas prints on my shop that I am in control of. I control the pricing, I control the margins. So it's like if I sell one of those through my shop, my return is maybe several hundred dollars off of one piece. But if somebody purchases one of my works through one of the other licensing channels I have for canvas prints, it may sell for $80 because they mass produce and they can sell it for much cheaper. And then on top of that, I may only get 5% of that. So I may get like, you know, three, $4. Oh, and then because of my contract with my agency, they take half that. So, you know, sometimes a canvas print may sell and I may take home a dollar 50 through one source, but through another source, I may take home $350. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's something that I definitely want to look into because I don't know if there's a difference between doing a collaboration with the brand versus licensing. I don't know if that goes together. I don't know how that works. It can be separate because with some of my licensing deals for products, it's like, okay, the contract is for the product. But if they want me to be like a brand ambassador and do like some live feeds with them, things like that, they want to pay me to maybe do a commercial where I do one of my audios because I do my audios on Instagram. That's how you found me. 
mm-hmm. you know, that's a separate thing. And so I can make maybe more money doing that, but then kind of have royalties coming in over time through the product licensing. And the product is licensing is Is there any well, place you guys wouldn't put your art? Wouldn't? Yeah, like if someone was like, okay, I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing you'd be okay with this. Someone wanted to use your art as a tattoo or something like that. or But like, let's say it was on like a uh, like a brand you don't believe in, huh? Yeah, something you wouldn't believe in. Like you're like, I don't want my art to be associated with that. Oh, so I think that just comes from being comfortable. Like for example, I'm very pro, say, LGBTQ community. I love the community, and I would never work with someone who's like f that community. You know, because at the end of the day, it's something that I believe in and I'm okay with or supportive of, and. I just feel like it will reflect like whoever you work with somehow reflects who you are. That's how I see things. So I'm not going to work. But with how do you research who, that? I understand. Right. How do you I research it? Like, no, I get I mean, what you're saying, Vinny. Cause it's like, you don't know everything about everybody. And it's like, if you're an artist and a company yeah. comes to you and it's a big company, you know, the ethics of one person within the company may vary from the ethics of the overall yeah. company. So, you know, it, it gets messy. And like, for me, like Because you hit on something big that I have actually had to have that conversation with myself because I was like, well, what if a company came to me, but I didn't really like what they believe in? But I I also am the type of person where it's like, I don't necessarily have to believe in everything that another person believes in, not everything, but I also want to represent myself in a certain way. But if I can kind of get in the door and change the culture in this place where I don't believe things maybe that could be a positive. And the other thing is if I don't like them, maybe I should just take their money. But, uh, but, you know, <laughs> but these are all conversations that you have to have as an artist. It's like, hey, if you have an opportunity, uh, but if a company is just like, oh, I hate this group of people or I hate that, you know, it's like, okay, you know, you may not want your work associated with that. Like today, actually this morning, because I have an OnlyFans page, I actually had a meeting with OnlyFans headquarters about collaborating and working with them in a way to work with their marketing, their merchandising team, to maybe uh, put a new focus on them of how OnlyFans can be a number of things, that it could be a platform for artists that, yes, it can be for this, and and I don't knock on that, I don't judge that, but it can be for other things too. What, what is this? I'm not familiar with OnlyFans. What is well, this? So, like, we had, uh, so we had Autumn on and we talked about like, marketing and so a lot of people, and I had it was funny because I had this meeting with like the corporate headquarters but I was kind of cautious of the way that I said things. But I did wear my shirt on today that says, please buy my art on my only fans. And I did get them to confirm. They were like, no, we're kind of tongue in cheek about the way we do things too. They're like, you're good with that. We don't have a problem with you doing that. You know, so I got their blessing to do that. But I was like, hey, you know, I'm kind of somebody that walks the edge of things. And, you know, I would like to work with you, maybe be somebody that represents you to change the perception of how people see you. Not that there's anything wrong with sex workers or people that do that because I work with a number of them. They're the sweetest girls that I know. I do some great projects with them. It's strictly professional. It's very professional and and I love working with them, but it can be other things at the same time. But I have had to kind of ask myself, you know, people have seen that I am on there. They don't necessarily know what I'm doing on there. Is that maybe having uh, some brands look at me and be like, oh, he's on there and, and it has the stigma and we think of that platform is in such a way that we don't want to work with them. 
but maybe well, I can change that perception. Maybe I can. Well, we had a, we had a, a I'm not going to say which sponsor, but we had a sponsor <laughs> that listened to one of our episodes and it was like, I don't want our name attached to the episode because it was, it, we, we were a little more open with the conversation. And you know what? I have a big gripe with that too, because there are a lot of companies that say, oh, we support that. Like companies will have mental health awareness month or, oh, it's pride month. And they want to be all about it when they're making the money and be like, we support that. But you start talking about it and they're like, oh, we don't want our name attached to that. Well, do you really support it then? Like if people are like, because we were just having an open conversation and, and I don't feel that the conversation we had about sex and art and marketing, I don't feel that we crossed a PG or PG-13 boundary. We were just having an open conversation about being an artist and the different paths, the different avenues. And we talked specifically about what the boundaries were and what would be crossing the boundary. So having a conversation about crossing the boundary is not, in my opinion, crossing a boundary. So, you know, that kind of changed a little bit of my perception about that company. You know, maybe that's me and people don't have to care what I think. But it, but, then it, but then it goes into the back to the initial thing, right? Of like how if there's a company that you put your name to and then like like Danielle was talking about that maybe someone in the company says something negative about basically LGBT or whatever it might be, right? And now they're like, oh my gosh, Danielle, Danielle, what a, oh my gosh, what a blah, blah, blah. She, she cancel her, cancel her right now. <laughs> yeah, cancel her, right? You're thing, like, cancel cancel oh, culture yeah. is scary. Let me tell you, it's scary. There was one time like on Twitter when Twitter was like, so Twitter had this time frame where it was, known at least my side of twitter was known as art twitter which it was literally all artists it was like my best year online sales actually too but the cancel culture on there was wild like god forbid i said i hate pickles that was it for me that was my artist career down the drain so i also i do want to be myself you know on my platforms but at the end of the day i also have to like not censor myself but also think twice sometimes because something so little can be turned into something so big nowadays, you know? Yeah, it's just one of those things. Like, as artists, it's like, we are the people that are allowed to walk the boundary and to sometimes move right up to it. And at the point that we have to censor ourselves, it can be detrimental to our art. And, and that's how I felt, and that's why I got on OnlyFans. And I was so thankful to have this conversation today with their headquarters and say, you know, I was at a point after my accident and whatnot and with business where – I just felt like I couldn't even share my creative ventures on these other platforms out of fear that I was going to be censored. So it's so nice to have a platform where I can just speak my mind and do my thing. And so, you know, maybe that's how I can promote it is, is here's a platform where you can just be yourself. If people don't like you, then that's fine. I mean, if people want to cancel me, go ahead, try to cancel me, motherfuckers. I will rise from the dead. Like, <laughs> Vinny, like, well, but you're talking about companies, Vinny, but I, I'm sure Vinny, you've thought once or twice, like, should I really be friends and do something with Michael? Because he says a lot of stupid shit and it may come back on me. You know what? No, I really don't care. I mean, I, like there's, there's people, I mean, there, there are people that are, were semi kind of racist, I guess a little bit, but I, I like deep down, it was just basically an unknown. Right. I, I look at it more of the person. I mean, it, it, if, if I feel that person's honestly a good person, yeah, maybe they might, they never met someone of that race or, Maybe they basically speak their mind and it comes off in a negative way. But if I feel that person a good person, I'm going to stick by them thick and thin. So, I mean, I know deep down you're a good person. You say stuff, I mean, <laughs> but it's just you. That's your thing. Well, and I saw something he the other day. who you are. Well, I saw something the other day that rang so true. And it said, there's this misconception that good people don't do bad things. 
And if there's one thing that I will say is that I am, I don't consider myself a good person. I, I make a lot of mistakes. I do a lot of things wrong, but I try to do good and I try to do more good than I do bad. And I think that that's an important thing. And I think that because of social media culture, there are these misrepresentations of things with influencers and whatnot. And we see snapshots of people and we feel like we have to agree with everything somebody says. Like we like an artist, but then they say something we don't like. Well, okay. Like, honestly, you shouldn't agree with everything that somebody else says because you should have your own thoughts. And if you're agreeing with every single thing that somebody else says, like, are you really an autonomous individual? Well, as long as I think it, if the person can speak about why they said what they said, right? I mean, like, it, it, if, yeah. they, if they have no if they have no feeling behind it, right? Like, let's say, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't like apples. I don't know. Whatever. I, mean. I don't like apples, right? Cancel. Yeah, you're like, oh, my gosh, this person <laughs> hates apples. Oh, my gosh, cancel this person. But, like, if I say that the reason why I don't like apples is because one of my, like, my relatives passed away because they ate an apple and they're allergic to it. And that's why I so I mean, something's just so stupid, right? But if they have some kind of meaning behind it, then I can go, okay, well, tell me about it. what does that mean? Okay, have you thought about other apples? Like, it, it's having some, instead of just saying something, just to say something to get people riled up, I guess. But not one of us has the time to learn every detail about somebody's story. And so we have to have this understanding of that. And like, and I'm guilty of it too, yeah. of being like, I hear something or I see something and I'm like, oh, fuck that person. Fuck this, fuck that. <laughs> but like, I have to recognize like, that's just one little aspect of it. Like within any business that I work with, within any relationship, there's going to be things that I don't like. Like we're not always going to be on the same page. And, you know, but like with art, I think that with art, it's about being vulnerable. It's about being honest. And I think that that's the beauty of it. But I almost get intrigued if I like the person, right? It could be even social. It could be a person that I, uh, I mean, I'm not really that familiar with, but if I like them and they have a, um, uh, a strong um, idea on something, Instead of me basically trying to cancel them, I'm gonna try to like hear why they say that because it maybe is something that I never thought about. Yeah, so okay. in a different way. I don't Make know. more of the effort to be understanding in that situation and just be curious. I mean, right? I mean, someone told me that I had an interview today with an intern, and like one of the things she she just said, she goes, "I'm just curious. I want to do it because I'm curious." And I was like. That's a great way of looking at life. Like, just be curious. Like, yeah, I, I'm curious about you saying that. I'm like, I would give that person a chance. Yeah. Well, that well, comes with the whole learning thing. See, you learn everywhere. Well, Danielle, before we do leave, there were two more things that I wanted to touch upon if we have time. Uh, one was your art education, because you mentioned that you have an artistic family, that you kind of went through the processes of learning that, but you did not go to art school. The only art class I ever had was 10th grade in high school as my elective. Hmm. And probably 8th grade because it was a middle school requirement. But other than like actual art school, none. Graphic design school, none. <laughs> YouTube, Pinterest, everything I've learned. And kind of trial and error, honestly. That's just been my way of learning. Did you pick any of your designs up from... What's that thing called? Because you said you... Um... What did you go to? You went to school for uh, college for what? Clinical psychology. Psychology, right? What's that thing where you basically show the 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 paint on a the page? And, uh, what is it? It's like uh, they show you like some sort of abstract figure, and you have to see, like, say what you see. Or checking plot test. Okay. Honestly, I, I no. I I my style now that I feel like yeah. I identify with the most honestly yeah. came out of art block. I ran out of ideas one day and I was just doing shapes. 
So uh-huh. a very organic form of figuring but, it out. But it's funny that you mentioned that though, Vinny, because my last series, my open wound series, it was very much at least sub- subconsciously uh, tied to the Rorschach inkblot test of like you look at it and your subconscious kind of drives the imagery. Huh. But uh, I come from uh, being more the person that is in the hospital as opposed to working at the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> but Danielle, you, you hit on something else there too, where you're talking about experimenting. And uh, it was one thing that I talked about earlier this week that uh, a lot of times artists are trying to find their signature style. They're like, Oh, I want to find my signature style. And I'm a big believer that the way to do that is to one, study a lot of art history, look at a lot of the stuff that's out there, funnel in what you like, funnel out what you don't, but experiment, explore, take risks, and don't be afraid to break the rules. Because my signature techniques were developed by essentially taking the instructions of how to use certain brushes, how to use certain materials, and completely deviating from that. Like my signature brushstroke was developed by taking a brush I was told to hold and use a certain way and just flipping it on its side. So sometimes you got to break the rules, flip things on their side and do them a different way. Cause if you do what other people have done, you will ultimately get where other people have been. Yeah. I think I, I create art. Oh, well, now, because when I first started, like I said, it was more custom orders and whatever the person wanted, that's what I was doing. Um, which I haven't completely left behind. For example, like if I'm going through a massive art block, maybe doing custom work, inspires me to try something else new you know where they're like i want this flower with this color or whatever maybe and your color palette comes to mind from that so i haven't completely left the custom work but i i decided to do art more of like what i enjoy not whatever is trending or whatever the next person is doing because i feel like at the end of the day if you're trying to be an artist because you want to have your own voice or expression through the arts so i feel like i try to stick mostly to what i enjoy nowadays at least yeah i mean do you want to fit in or do you want to stand out and it's like if you want to be trending you kind of fit in but do you want to be ahead of the curve do you want to be the avant-garde that's you know doing the stuff that hasn't been done before yeah and especially with social media because when something's trending something is trending and you will see it back to back to back to back and i feel like it becomes no i don't want to say boring but it becomes like okay what's next you know yeah, it gets a little so, redundant. Like, yeah. Okay, I've seen this a, a few times now. And the other yeah. thing I wanted to ask yeah. you was the Florida market. So I, I don't know a lot about geography and whatnot. I mean, I have a general idea of where Florida is. but South, <laughs> south uh, east. So you do not have sales tax there, do you? Yes. Yes, you don't have sales tax? Yes, I do. I pay taxes. Is that what you're asking me? You're- there are sales taxes there. I thought there was no sales tax in Florida. I I have to pay my when taxes you, every quarter. No, when you when you uh, buy something at the store, what do you pay oh, for? Oh yes, we have. Huh. Six point five percent. But I think okay. they have a they have a lower income tax on like that. I think. I think that's what you mean. That's why like sports players go there. I think. I thought there were some places that, okay, maybe it's not sales tax. I could just be using the wrong terminology, but uh, I know the tax situations, like there's certain places specifically in the U.S. where like the tax situations are significantly better. And I know Florida was supposed to be one of them. So maybe, maybe it's not sales tax, but um, but I had heard the tax situation. I think, I, think sure. I, I could be totally wrong. I think it's income tax. I think it's something like that where it's like what they, what uh, California takes a lot more of your taxes. 
of your paycheck. Well, they don't take a lot out of mine. I would say, um, if I can remember from my my pay stub days, um, I we wasn't like super crazy amount of taxes, but I mean something that I wish was lower because of our our minimum wage or income in Florida. Like, I guess for you guys, if you saw our checks, you'd be like, oh, that's not that much because I'm pretty sure your side is way more expensive. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, when I go to California, I'm like, $6 for gas is insane. And then I'm like, why am I complaining about $3 gas when California is out here going wild with their gas prices or even like a burger? (laughs) So, yeah. That's true. And that's something that I need to consider. It's like, I don't want to leave San Diego, but I'm getting just like run out of home essentially. But I do most of my business online or I ship stuff. So where I live is kind of just my choice, but it seems like there are places that I could live where I could drastically reduce the overhead and cost. of. I mean, that's how I built my model. I paid off my student loans 10 years early with the money I made off my art. I don't do credit cards. I drive an old car that's paid off. So you know, I limited my costs as much as possible and I was able to make it work, but just like my rent has like almost tripled since I moved in. So it's like all that money that I'm in theory saving and like I I built my model based on this. Well, now I'm paying all that and more just to have an older apartment. Like I don't even own a house and I I keep getting further and further away from the point of owning a house. Um, You know, so maybe we'll, uh, any insights on the real estate market, Vinny, we're going to have a crash coming up. I don't think so. I think, <laughs> I think we, we have too low of inventory. Oh, really? So you don't think there's going to be a crash coming up with the? No, I, I thought when COVID happened, that was going to be a crash, and then opposite happened. Rates but then you do the opposite. It went crazy high because yeah. even yeah, here, yeah. it's just wild. Yeah, it's just it, you but see it like in a... like. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say you see in like in a little bit farther north where they have a lot of new construction, the prices having that market hasn't got as aggressive as San Diego market, but our, our government kind of shot us in the foot because they didn't allow a lot of new construction and then they kind of allowed it. And now, now they're freeing up the guidelines like crazy where you can basically put like three units on every property now. Uh, um, after COVID, um, I have some realtor friends and they've told me that a lot of what they were seeing client wise were people from California who work remotely after COVID coming down here, living on our budget, but getting paid California um, Mm. income. And I was like, well, like that, that's a very smart thing to do because you know, you're getting paid California money to live Florida, which to me, it's kind of expensive still, but obviously different ends of the nations with a different income situation. So I thought that was a smart idea. (laughs) And that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's like, not that I get paid by California or have a job here, but it's like, I would be making essentially the same amount of money regardless of where I'm living, possibly more because I, maybe I could move to a place that has a better art market. But it's like because I'm already getting most of my sales from Canada and the Midwest and the East Coast and whatnot, I'm going to have to ship the work regardless. So I would just need to find if, new vendors. If you're moving to Florida, for example, but your clientele on the West Coast, West Coast is okay with paying your pricing for your art, it will show in Florida because you're getting paid more with the California pricing or budget than California, uh, than Florida. You get what yeah. I'm saying? Like maybe once you move, you might be, to, you might have to reconsider. Okay. Maybe 
the budget here is different, so I might have to price differently in order for Floridians to be able to enjoy my art comfortably. You know, I actually think that in other markets, even in a market technically like Florida, where it's like, okay, people don't make quite as much there. I actually think that I could have higher prices for my art in that market because it is more of a buyer's market and I get far more sales from that. So I really think that I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot by staying in California. But uh, just because of uh, a number of factors, it's a difficult thing for me to leave. But I mean, I, I may just have my hand. Know. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, it seems like from a business perspective, it would be a smart thing to do. And I feel like I probably could. I mean, I, I may have to. It'll change up some of my relationships and whatnot. But um, I mean, these but are it things also depends where you go in Florida, because some areas obviously are more, um, I, I guess, artistic than others. For example, like I'm in Deltona. There is not even an art gallery here versus if you go to Orlando, which is has, a you know, a more of like a city environment. Or even Miami, which is known for businesses and art and whatever else, the collectors and stuff. So it all depends where in Florida. So from what you know, and you may not have spent enough time out here to know, but from what you do know, what city in Florida would you say is probably most kind of like the vibe of San Diego or like the equivalent of San Diego? Would it be would it be Miami or I feel like I feel like it's a mix of Miami and Orlando because Miami is strictly, well, I don't want to say strictly, but very outgoing, very alive. Um, but Orlando is also alive, but it also has its side where it's like calmer and more like homey, to at least what I've seen from living in Miami and Orlando. It's just more quiet. And like, if you want to have a rowdy night, you go to downtown versus Miami. I feel like that's just the vibe in general, um, which is great for the people who are outgoing and willing to be partying and, you know, making networking and connections and stuff. So I feel like that is the place to be, even for a realtor, Vinny. That is where the people go. Orlando? For, like, vacation homes and all that stuff. You know, Miami. Well, Orlando too, but Orlando, I would say, is more family-oriented versus Miami is more, like, business and vacations and luxury type of thing. I think you like Orlando better, Michael. Now, Vinny, for you, though. I like, like it better. For for real estate, how is it impossible for you to do real estate in Florida because like you're not there, or would you need to get a different license? Like, is it like law where you need to like get certified for each region? Or nothing is impossible. Everything is doable. <laughs> but I mean, you do so. Like, like, that's gonna be my next motivational quote. <laughs> you look to doing real estate and like it, or, it, that's not practical. You, you just, well, you just have to uh, you have to get your license in that state. So if okay. you're already licensed in one state, you just kind of take the test in another state. You don't take the classes again. But is Can it you just be not licensed really... in all fifty states? No, I have to take. I would have to take a test in each state. So like, because I'm only licensed in California. So like, to get your license, you have to take classes. And then from one state, classes, and you you take the test. But because I'm already licensed in one state, I can just take the test in the other state. I won't know what's on the the test, but I have to take the test, and then hopefully I can pass it off it. But yeah. <laughs> Well, Danielle, is, you want to tell us where people can find you, maybe some of the things you have coming up, like your show? Okay. So online-wise, Instagram at dml.paintings. That is literally where I live on the social media world. I quit Twitter. I quit all that other extra stuff. Um, TikTok sometimes. TikTok has a rough audience out there. They're very ruthless with the comments sometimes. But Instagram is where I'm at. The what? I suck on TikTok. 
it's just really hard, very time consuming too. Like editing just one video takes me literally an hour just for three views. So I'm like, <laughs> I've grown my community in on Instagram. So I feel like that's where I'm more comfortable. Yeah. Um, so Instagram, my website is dmlpaintings.com. You can find my paintings, stickers, stationery, all the goods that I have to offer. Um, my art show will be March 1st at um, Framework Coffee House in Orlando. And uh, I do local local pop-ups in the Orlando area, mostly Milk Mart, which is one of the biggest art festivals in Orlando now. And where can people find your coloring book and when do your puzzles come out? The puzzles are out already. So you oh. just got to go through jiggy.com and then just put Daniela Sala on the search bar and my stuff will show up there. Um, and then my coloring book is on my website. Okay. Well, there you go. Check out her work. She does some fantastic stuff. Uh, she was a great guest, so I would love to have her back on. And Danielle, stay with us after we part because I want to have a couple words with you. Like No reprimand or anything like that, but uh, just a <laughs> such a great I'm in guest. trouble behind the scenes. <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Well, thank you guys for having me. Thank you for being here. So everyone, thank you. Please go find Danielle. Um, all that information should be in the show notes. Also, too, uh, please follow us, uh, the Art for Everyone podcast. We uh, usually do this live on Thursdays. We usually release uh, it on most Mondays, but it does vary based off it. Um, so if you want to be here live, you can ask us questions um, and be more interactive. But if you just want to hear the podcast while you're driving, do that, too. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, please subscribe, please share, and go tell your Thanks for listening to the Art for Everyone podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with your hosts, check them out on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.